Our Old Testament passage today picks up with Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. <laughs> Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now these days always come. And brothers and sisters, a new king rose up who had no remembrance of what Joseph did for, for Egypt, had no understanding of the wisdom, had no understanding that Pharaoh had said that God is with him and him is the spirit of God, had no comprehension, had no memory of the greatness of Joseph and all he had done for Egypt. And forgive me, had enriched the Pharaoh because Pharaoh owned all the land and then 20% tax came to Pharaoh after that. There's always going to come some new boss who has no idea what you've done. I looked at a young pastor one time and he said, Pastor, I just don't understand. You know, I, I don't understand. These people don't even remember all that I did when I started this church. I said, they never will. There's always going to be a new generation of people that come up and leadership that comes up in a church that have no memory of your sacrifice. You, the, you have to understand life moves on and people forget. So please, in your companies, yeah, there's going to be new bosses come up who forget all that you did, who forget how you got a miracle sale that kept the company surviving during COVID-19. A new boss is going to rise up and they're not going to remember. This is life. This is the progression of life. I'm sorry, it's not going to change. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty. Now notice two things there, too many and too mighty. So God didn't just bless Israel numerically. He blessed them physically. These were strong men. Okay, these were strong men. These, these were not a bunch of wimps walking around. You know, yes, they might have been enslaved, but um, these were not wimps. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. Now, this is how the world handles strong people. The world wants to break them. This is how the world handles strong people. They want to break you. God doesn't want to break you. God wants to use that strength. God wants to develop that strength. God wants that strength to change a world. God didn't want to break the Apostle Paul. Well, you know, we need to come to blessed brokenness. Excuse me. That's what the world does. Inflicted them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread. They feared these people. They feared them. Because the more they tried to destroy them, the more God blessed them. And that's something you have to understand in life. When people attack you, if you're doing what God wants you to do, 
You're only going to get stronger. I've watched this so many times in my life with people who have attacked us. They've attacked us as a church. They've attacked Sister Bev and I. All it does is make us stronger. All it does is bring more blessings of God to us. So they ruthlessly made the people work, the people of Israel work as slaves. All right, so now again, redouble efforts, break, break them. Ruthlessly, they made them slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the fields and all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. All right now, this is, this is all this breaking, all right? Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphath and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to a Hebrew woman and see them on a birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. In other words, they wanted slaves, not warriors. These Israeli men were strong men. They wanted the women as slaves but they wanted to destroy a people by killing off the men. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. <laughs> God blessed the midwives because they wouldn't kill these babies. Now, you know, you're going to have to tie this into abortion, okay? And I know people don't like it when you talk like this, but, you know, at some point you have to face the fact abortion is wrong. It's the killing of an innocent. And in America now, they have this new abortion in many states where if the baby is born, they'll just leave it on the table to die. They'll just leave the baby on the table to die. Now, that's exactly what, what Pharaoh in Egypt was doing to, to the Hebrew children. But because the midwives would not do this, God dealt well with them. If you are a doctor and you refuse to do abortions, you refuse to kill the innocents, God will deal well with you. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Did you hear that? Here's that fear of God we talked about last Sunday. Because they had respect for God, he gave them families. Because they didn't kill the babies of others, God gave them families. <laughs> I like that. And Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now notice all his people. Now, forgive me, straight up, the Israelites would not kill their own babies. So he told the Egyptians to kill the baby boys. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. All right, so the parents of Moses and Aaron are both Levites. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, please notice destiny unfolding. Jacob prophesied over Levi that his descendants would be scattered throughout the entire nation, that they would never live together as one, but they would be scattered because of their temper, because they were men of the sword, because they were, forgive me, violent men. He said, you'll be scattered through all the nation. Yes, and they were, and they were scattered as spiritual leaders. You know, I found that very strong men make great pastors. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. But look at destiny unfolding. 
When God was ready for Moses to be born, he chose a Levite father and a Levite mother. Ah, now you see what's happening. Destiny is beginning to unfold. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could not hide him, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, uh, asphalt. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the, Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket along the reeds and sent her servant woman who took it. When she opened it, she saw a child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? So notice, his sister. This is Moses' sister. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, called Moses' mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now notice, he's beginning to identify with his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He killed him. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling with each other. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Wow. Pharaoh recognized this guy's identifying with his own people. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Now notice, Moses stood up and saved them. So Moses was always a strong man. He, he was Moses' personality was not the personality of an uninvolved, detached, I don't care. Moses was always a strong man and involved. Okay, He, he didn't sit back and let injustice happen. That's not Moses' character. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian, because he would have looked like one, dressed like one, all the body hair shaven off of his body, all of that. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughter, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Sephora. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. When God heard their groaning, God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, you have to understand, 
crying out to God, it gets God's attention. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. And the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, this is Jesus, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. Now notice, God called to him. The Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. God called him. This is God. Okay, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. But I want you to notice when God saw, he turned aside to see. Here's a key. God speaks. When we pay attention, God will do something to get our attention. But if you really want God to talk to you, you turn and focus. God is not going to, God is not going to speak to someone with divided attention. You don't read your Bible and pray while the TV set is on. You don't read your Bible and pray while you're, you're gaming. You don't read your Bible and pray. I mean, you, you, God speaks to people when they focus. All right. Focus. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, to look at God. Now again, notice, this is a tremendous theophany. Okay, this is Jesus. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. So I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings. So, all right, God sees, God hears, God knows. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And I have come down to deliver them. God said, I have appeared for a purpose. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land. I see something to bring them up out of and to a good and a broad land. So he brings us out to bring us in. Now, there is a great principle that you need to understand. God will never bring you out of something until he's ready to bring you into something. Now, if you get cast out of something, if you're running out of something because of your own sins, don't look for God to open doors. I mean, please forgive me, but in mercy, yes, maybe. But when God brings you out of something, there was no rebellion. The, the, the people of Egypt, uh, Israel never rebelled against Egypt. There, there was no rebellion. God brought them out. And he brought them out to bring them in. Now, learn that principle, because some of you, you get mad at your boss and you quit, or you get mad at some other employee and you quit, and you go, oh, God, why are times so hard? Why don't you give me a new job? Don't leave something until God brings you out. God will bring you out, 
and then immediately he's going to bring you in. A land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you. God says, come, come here, come on. I will send you. This, this was not Moses making this up. This was not Moses going, you know, I'm going to be a great deliverer. This is in my five-year plan. God said, no, no, I have a destiny for you, Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh for the purpose, that means purpose, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So, so who am I? Who am I? I mean, I had to run for fear of my life. Pharaoh wanted to kill me. Remember, when I left, Pharaoh wanted to kill me. Who am I? I? I know I was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I know I was raised as the grandchild of Pharaoh, but Pharaoh wants to kill me now. Who am I? But he said, this is who you are. I will be with you. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that verse. Who am I? I will be with you. When I look back across my life and I see this 17-year-old boy getting saved in the Baptist Student Union building, a kid who grew up so poor and so insecure, who couldn't stand in front of people and talk, so shy. And I look and I see what God has done with my life today. Who am I? <laughs> I'm simply a man that God is with. Who are you? Now, I'm not talking about you, so I don't embarrass you. But who are you? Quit looking at your abilities. Quit looking at how perfectly suited you are for the task. And just humble yourself and recognize, who am I? I am nothing. When I look at the destiny that God has for me, I'm nothing. You are a person God is with. Ah, <laughs> He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, he said, all right, you're going to come here, and, and we're going to do things here. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, Moses knew about there is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he also knew there's the true God, and then there's the gods from beyond the river. You know, there, there were both happening in Israel at the same time. Who shall I say sent me? Moses said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. <laughs> oh, this is one of God's great names. Not I was, not I'm going to be, I am. You often hear me talk about God doesn't live in linear time. God lives in the eternal present. A large part of that doctrine comes from this name, I am. There's no past, there's no future. There's just the eternal present. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. 
The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God said, don't forget this name. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. God sees what people do to you. Wow. God sees what people do to you. God sees what people do to you. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. All right, so here's the promise. Here's the promise. He said, they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go so you and the elders of Israel. This is to be a joint effort. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So notice, Mount Horeb is three days from where the Israelites were, because three days journey. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go out, you shall not go out empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, gold jewelry, and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. And so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And thus fulfills the prophecy made to Abraham that they will come out with great wealth. We'll get into that at a later point in time. Let's open up our hearts now. But as you worship today, I want you to remember, God sees what is done to you. God sees the hurt and the sufferings, but you are a person that God is with. Let's worship. Such a bully, it sneaks up and knocks us to the ground. Oh, life seems to show no mercy when it laughs at us and kicks us when we're down. Well, I've been there in its shadow, and the time has taught me this. If you look over each shoulder, we'll see.
has led us to a painful place. Oh, time and again, hasn't God got proven? He can handle any struggles that we face. Will it be the same tomorrow as it's been through all the years? So even when this life's not fair, we have no cause to. Our New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, another parable of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. These are what we call day laborers. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. All right, so they agreed price, daily wage. All right, I'm going to work for this guy today for one denarius, all right, for just one. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So, all right, there's no no amount. So they went. Going out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why, did, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those who were hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they should receive more. They thought. But each one of them also received a denarius. Now this is the agreement. Okay. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Okay, so here's complaints. Saying, these last worked for only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. I've done you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? All right, so hey, this was our agreement. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, you're going to have to learn something here. Generosity is not liked unless you get some. <laughs> So the last will be first and the first will be last. I, I just need to park on this for a minute. Have you ever been generous and helped somebody and somebody else saw it and all they did was grumble at it? Do you remember when Jesus was anointed for his burial in Bethany and Judas was upset about it and he got all the other apostles upset about the generosity of Mary? Do you remember all that? Generosity is not something that people like unless they are the recipient because they begrudge generosity. Ah. Now, this is one of the reasons why our giving should be in secret. And this is one of the reasons why most companies require that salaries be confidential. Because as soon as somebody hears that somebody else is making more money than they do, they're all upset. Even though they signed a contract, even though they agreed for this amount of money, but because somebody else gets something, they begrudge the generosity of the company. Now, now, please, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to learn to be a little bit more quiet with your generosity. Sister Bev and I learned a long time ago, because we love to be generous. We learned a long time ago, be quiet about your generosity. Don't let everybody see what you're doing. You'll often see me do things and Sister Bev do things and we tell people, now don't, don't discuss this with others, please. Because we understand generosity brings criticism. Always has, always will. And it brings criticism from people who want more. <laughs> the criticism flows from greed. So it's best just to be a little quiet with your generosity, okay? You know, if, if you're going to give an employee a raise, call them in privately and talk to them, okay? Now, bonus increases and things for a performance, sure. But when it comes to, to doing something for somebody, just because you want to be generous, always keep that quiet. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. 
and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be, not he might be, raised on the third day. So again, the promise of sufferings, S and D, of sufferings, S, betrayal, and death. Okay, S, B, and D, the promise. Again, you wonder, why were the apostles so upset and why were the apostles not sitting outside of the empty tomb waiting for the angel to roll away the stone? That's a question that we'll answer later on. All right, we have one more passage to work on today. We always close out with a little bit of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Woman, Why should you be intoxicated? New Living Translation says, captivated. Now, Solomon looks at his son and says, Now, son, sex can really get a hold of you. It's like a drunkenness. It, it captures you. you. You can't get away from it. Now, they've come up with a new word today called sexual addiction. Okay, that's sexual intoxication. You know, a young man will get a little bit of sex and he just can't stop. And the next thing you know, his life is ruined. So he would look at sons and say, sons, why are you intoxicated with a forbidden woman? And why embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Why, why do you, you, you fondle the breasts of an adulteress? Well, why do you do this? He said, for a man's ways are be all for a man's ways are before the Lord. And LT said, from the Lord clearly sees what a man does. Now, young man, forgive me, but straight up, you start having sex with some woman or some prostitute, and you start fondling the breasts of a forbidden woman, a prostitute, an adulteress, an easy girl, whatever you want to call them today. You have to understand God's watching. This is not a private sin. God is watching. And he ponders all his path. He examines every path he takes. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast by the cords of his sin. Now, here's a great truth. Your sin is a trap. I don't care what sin you get into, it's a trap, and it holds you fast. The only thing that can set you free from the power of sin is the blood of Jesus. You, you start getting into this, and my goodness, you're, you're, you're held fast. You're, you're, like, you're caught in a spider's web. Have you ever seen a, a fly caught in a spider's web? Struggle as it may, it cannot get loose, and that's, that's life, okay? You, you start messing around with sin, whether it's pornography or alcohol or drugs or sex or, or rebellion. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, it's going to hold you fast. It's going to control you. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Now notice, because of his great folly, he will be lost because of his great foolishness. You, you can't blame others when your life is destroyed by sin. It was your foolishness that led you astray. It was your foolishness that led you astray. Now, 
maybe this is why it takes a little humbling of ourselves before the Lord, before he will deliver us and bring us up out of the miry clay. Maybe this is as we talked about last weekend, God saves the humble. Because you have to face, you're in this mess because of your own foolishness. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't help you. It just means you have to humble yourself. You have to have an honest evaluation of yourself. Yes, I was foolish. I am in this mess and it's my fault. I am eating the fruit of my own ways. This I accept, I understand. This is part repentance. You're in this mess because of your own foolishness. Humble yourself and you'll find a gracious, gracious God to forgive you and a gracious, gracious, forgiving God to help you. That's the beauty of our wonderful God. All right, we'll see you tonight, seven o'clock sharp, as we get back into the book of Romans.